Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 22. Mark chapter 11, verse 24, repeats it. James chapter 5 talks about praying in faith. These passages cause lots of Christians lots of turmoil. Because we read these passages and then we pray and we pray and we pray with as much faith as we can possibly muster, but then God doesn't do what we ask. And so we're left asking the question, why doesn't God answer my prayer? And a lot of folks allow this problem to get in the way of their faith. Some even some even turning their backs on God. Interestingly, back on June 10th of this year, in the Tennessean, Colby Landis, 18 years old, of Nashville, said that he didn't believe in God or in heaven. And as he described one of the reasons why, he said this, and I'm quoting, I used to pray about a lot of things that I needed help with. It seemed like whatever I prayed about got worse. It made me a little bit iffy. And let's face it, I think we've all been there. We've all been at that point where we've prayed and and nothing happened. And we wonder, why doesn't God answer my prayer? We're going to talk about that, answering that question tonight. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, though? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we praise your name. We lift you up and we magnify you because you are awesome beyond our imagination. We cannot fathom your greatness and your power and your sovereignty. We pray, Father, that you will be merciful to us, that you will bestow your benevolence upon us even though we don't deserve it. Father, there are so many things that we need, and you know them all, and we're thankful that you've promised to provide those for us. Give us wisdom. Give us our daily sustenance. And, Father, we thank you for providing us. Father, we think about the number that we know that are sick, and we pray that you would help those especially of your children, those who have been mentioned from this pulpit, those that we have in our bulletin, we pray that you would be with each of them. Strengthen them. And Father, whatever happens with them, we pray that you will be glorified. Father, we pray that you be with us tonight as we look at this question that so many ask. Help us to have an understanding based upon your word so that we can continue in our faith and prayer and our faith in you and therefore pray. And Father, we ask that you would help us to be able to pass your good news along to others so that they'll also become children of yours that pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son's name we do pray. Amen. Before we start to answer this question, there's some preliminary things that we need to understand, and I'd just like to share these with you. We've got to to set the stage. In fact, only a small part of this lesson is actually going to answer the question as it's asked. There's There's actually a lot of fundamental things that I think we need to recognize first. The very first thing that when we ask this question, when we're asking, why doesn't God answer my prayers, I think that that we need to have a fundamental understanding about God himself. Who is God? What is God? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator. He is the supreme being. He is the sovereign ruler. He has all power. I mean, we just can't even fathom that. And if you think about it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When there was nothing, there was God. 
and God was able to do what by our natural laws is impossible. That is how powerful our God is. God is great. God is amazing. And I just want you to think about that for a moment. Does God owe us anything? We get upset and we get mad because God didn't answer my prayers. Whoever said God was obligated to answer our prayers? Just think about that. God does not owe us answers. We act like the whole thing's broken if He didn't answer, but God doesn't owe us anything. Think about Job, who argued for 35 chapters that God owed him an answer about why all these things were happening in his life. And then for four chapters, God basically said to him, look, Job, I'm God, you're not, get over it. When we ask this question, why doesn't God answer my prayers? We need to be very careful. Because there's a part of us in asking that that seems to be placing ourselves up above God as though He owes us something. And that is just not the case. The second thing that we need to think about in, in our preliminary understanding, just getting our bearings right and understanding the whole concept of this question, is that in reality, we're not asking the right question. We're not asking the correct question uh, about this whole scenario, and I'll explain why. Look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. This just gets, gets our bearings, gets our head on straight. Psalm 139 and verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The psalmist basically points out that no matter where I go, there's God. Any place I am, no matter how bright or how dark, God can hear me. God knows what I'm saying. So there's, there's not an issue of God's ability to hear. Now, I'd also like you to look at Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 6. About lost my place there. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Now hold on to that thought, and let's also notice 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, this is 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. So as we're asking our question about who and what God is, the first thing we recognize is that God is that supreme sovereign ruler, but he's everywhere. He can't, he, we can't hide from him. Anytime we talk, anytime we pray, he hears. But then he cares about everything. Is there anything that he doesn't care about for us? No. Why is it then that if we don't get what we want through prayer, our response is, God didn't answer me? as though God ignored us. We have, there, there's a song, I think Garth Brooks sang it. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. We need to understand that's really not true. Every prayer from the child of God gets answered. I, I just want you to think about this. 
Everybody who's had kids, think about when you had kids. Uh, they, uh, how many things they ask you for? Ask you for everything under the sun, right? I, I went by the store today and I saw this little kid. I was really proud of the dad. I almost said something to him because he started whining. And the dad said, well, you know, answer's no. When you whine, the answer's no automatically. I was really impressed with him because you don't hear that a whole lot. But, I mean, kids ask us for everything. And did we give them everything? In fact, how many times does your child ask you and you say no, and then they come back and ask you again, and you say, I've already answered that. And if they said, no, you didn't. Why didn't you answer me? You didn't. I did answer you. I just said no. You see, the issue is not that God doesn't answer us. God always answers us. But sometimes his answer is no. And you see, in reality, the fact that we say, why doesn't God answer my prayers, is actually a bit of our pride and arrogance shining through, because it's as if to say, everything I ask, if God were really going to listen to me, He would do it for me. But just like every loving parent, God says no. And we need to be prepared for that. The third thing in our preliminary understanding, I want to give you an illustration, and I hope you can gain from this illustration some understanding about prayer. If you went to, let's say you were, you were at Walmart, and you stopped on your way in or on your way out, and you dropped in some coins into one of those Coke machines outside, and it kept your money and didn't give you a drink, what would you do? Would you go inside and tell somebody, hey, your Coke machine's broken? And then expect them to either give you your money or get you a drink, right? Right? Okay. All right. Just making sure you're all listening. Okay. So now let's consider this. You went out there. You dropped your money in. The drink comes out. And all of a sudden you hear some clanking and your money comes out too. What do you do then? Oh, boy. It's my lucky day. I might buy another one. But wasn't the machine just as broken when that happened as it was the other one? See, isn't that interesting? It's just as broken. It's just as shocking that it works the way it is, but one of them we don't think anything about because, oh, it's my lucky day. It's only only when it doesn't go the way we would like for it to go that we talk about how broken it is. I want you to think about that with prayer. Think about that with prayer. Here is God who created the world for us. He's given us life. He's given us bodies. He sent His Son to die for us on the cross. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's given us His Word so that we could know how to live. Does He owe us anything else? Did He even owe us that? And yet, when we pray and don't get what we want, we think prayer is broken. Here's what I would suggest to you. That we need to be more shocked that God says yes sometimes than the fact that God says no sometimes. That's what's really amazing, that ever even once that we, these small little finite human beings, ever address the prayer to God, and God ever says, yes, that's when things are really shocking. It's not the least bit shocking that God looks at us and says no. It's shocking that He says, you know what, you little peon person down there have asked, and I'm going to do something about it. That's amazing. That's when we need to be shocked. Before we get all upset about God's nose, let's start to learn to be appreciative and grateful and shocked at God's yeses, because that is truly the amazing thing. It's not amazing that he says no. So here's some preliminary things that we need to understand. First of all, God doesn't owe us anything. 
second of all, God always answers all of his children's prayers, but sometimes he says no, but we really shouldn't be so shocked about that. What's more shocking is that sometimes he says yes. Before we move on to answering our question, though, we've got something else we've got to deal with. We've already pointed out that God is answering all our prayers, but sometimes he says no. However, before we move at looking at why he says no, we need to understand something else. Not everything that looks like a no is a no. And in fact, I can think of three examples of when it's not a no. It looks like no, but it's not. Look in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. In Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Here's the prayer. God, rescue and save us. We fast forward. We know about Moses. We know about the plagues. But then we get to Exodus chapter 14. It looks like God was going to rescue them until all of a sudden the Israelites find themselves between Pharaoh and the deep Red Sea. And in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 11, the Israelites said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Do you see what the Israelites thought? They had cried out. They had groaned out to God. We need help. And right now, as they stood between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, they thought God's answer was no. I mean, what would you think? Here's the army. There's the sea. There's no way of escape. It looks like God said no. You see, it didn't even cross their mind. It didn't come into their imagination that God had said yes, and what he was actually going to do was demonstrate his great power by parting the Red Sea and providing them an amazing route of escape. See, here's the deal. Sometimes it's not no, it is yes. But it looks different than we expected. I can give you a great illustration. You ever pray for wisdom? Dear God, help me to have wisdom so I can make these great wise choices. How does God most often give us wisdom? See, when we say that, what we're hoping is that we'll never make any bad choices. That God will just like open our heads, pour in wisdom, and we'll always make great choices. But how does God really give us wisdom? By us making bad choices. And that's the way it happens. We get wisdom by messing up and learning from it. See, what we wanted was one thing, but God said yes. He just gave it in a way different than what we were hoping. It's still a yes, though. I hope you understand that. Sometimes it looks like a no, but it's yes, but just different. Second example, look in Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In verse 11, Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. You see what God said there? He didn't say no. He said not now. Wait. You ever said that with your kids? God says it does. Not now. That's not, that's not a no. Sometimes it looks like a no. I mean, you've got little kids, Tessa, 10 years old, she understands that. When I say not no, she now knows she needs to keep quiet because if she keeps harping about it, she's going to get in trouble and it will be no. 
Ryan doesn't get that yet. See, we have to mature a little bit to understand. Sometimes it's not now, okay? Just wait a while. But then there's a third one. And this, this is probably the most shocking to us, but look in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Jesus told a story about prayer. Verse 5, Luke chapter 11. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, Don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he'll rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks will be opened. Jesus is talking about this. He says, look at this person who went next door. He knocked on the neighbor's house, said, I need some help. I need some help. And the guy said, no. And he, said, he just kept knocking. I need some help. Look, you've got to get up. He says, because of the continuance, because of the persistence, the guy finally got up, and he says, this is how we need to pray to God, with persistence. And I'll tell you what I learned from this. Sometimes God isn't saying no. He's saying, I don't know. How bad do you want? I don't know. How bad do you want? And then he's waiting to see how bad we want it in prayer. I think about Moses, who prayed for 40 days in the wilderness that Israel would be saved. I don't know, Moses, how bad do you want it? And what we need to learn here is the example of David. Remember when his son was dying? He prayed and prayed and prayed until he was absolutely certain the answer was no when the child died. And we need to remember that. God's not always saying no. So, so first of all, we've already learned then, we're asking the wrong question. We say, why hasn't God answered my prayers? Because God answers all our prayers. Sometimes he just says no. The second thing we learn is we need to understand that not everything that looks like no is actually no. Sometimes it's God saying, well, yes, but let me give it to you differently than you're expecting. Sometimes it's God saying, not now, wait. Sometimes it's God saying, I don't know. How much do you want? The third thing that we need to recognize before we actually answer our question is praying and faith. Because you notice that passage in Matthew chapter 11 said that anything we pray believing will receive. And I think sometimes as we ask this question, as we think about this concept, when it comes to faith and prayer, we put faith off in a vacuum somewhere. You see, when this passage is saying this, and in the biblical context, he's not just saying if you pray for something and you think it's going to happen really, really hard, then it's going to happen. That's not what he's saying at all. We have to keep faith within the biblical context. So we look in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. We know what the Bible says about faith there, don't we? In Romans 10 and verse 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, praying through faith means praying based upon the Word. Now, when we think about that, what does that mean for praying in faith? I'll tell you, let's, let's list a few things that this means about praying in faith. Number one, it means that we have to have faith that God really wants our prayers. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, we all know what it says, even if we don't know this is the passage where it says it. Pray without ceasing. See, we all know it. Pray without ceasing. God wants our prayers. But if we're going to pray, we've got to have that faith. Because if we don't have faith that God wants our prayers, what are we going to do? We're not going to pray. James chapter 4 and verse 2 demonstrates the problem there. James chapter 4 
And verse 2, James said, You desire and don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So praying based on faith is, first of all, having the faith that God really wants us to pray. Second of all, it's understanding that God can do anything that we ask. There is absolutely nothing we can ask that can tax the power of God remotely. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. If you remember back when we had our series on prayer, our fall focus that we did on prayer a couple years ago, this was almost the key verse. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, than all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. God can do anything. He can do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Just think about that for a moment. There's not anything that we've ever asked that God sat back and said, Wow, I never thought about that. Boy, you really stumped me on that one. I'm not sure I can pull that one off. That's just never happened. We have to have the faith that God can do anything that we ask. Thirdly, we have to have faith that God will do what He has said. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. He will do what He has said. We can have faith. Any prayer that we offer that is based upon the Word of God, then He said, I will do that. We can have faith that He will. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, if you seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness, He'll provide all these other things. He'll provide the necessities. We can pray that prayer, not, pray that prayer not just with the faith that God can provide us with necessities, but that He will provide us with the necessities. James chapter 1 talked about praying for wisdom. God, he says that God gives it to everyone liberally if they'll just ask. We can pray that prayer with the faith, not just that God can do it, but that God will do it. You see the difference? We, we, we have to have faith that God wants us to pray. We have to have faith that God can do anything that we ask. We have to have faith that God will do what He has said when we pray. Number four. We have to have faith in God's love for us. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? God loves us. God wants to bless us. God wants to do what is good for us and wants to give us what we need. We have to have faith in that. But here's, here's the interesting thing I want you to notice. The passage here says that if we ask for a fish, he won't give us a serpent. If we ask for a bread, he won't give us a stone. But do you realize that sometimes we ask for the serpent? Sometimes we ask for the stone? 
And what does God do then? He gives us the fish and the bread anyway. For instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, the Bible says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You notice what happened there? Paul prayed for the serpent. He said, take this thorn away from me. In his finite wisdom and his finite desire, he wanted the thorn in the flesh removed. But God understood that if that thorn was removed, Paul might become puffed up. And if Paul became puffed up because of the greatness of his revelation, he might become arrogant and so lose his salvation. You see, Paul had asked for the serpent. He had asked for the stone. But what did God do? God gave him the fish and the bread anyway. When we pray, we have got to have faith in God's love for us then He is going to do what's best for us. And that when He says no, sometimes it's because it is best for us that He says no. And these are the times when we really learn about praying according to the will of God. Jesus prayed in the garden, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that's what we have to learn. And, and at this point, having this faith in the love of God, this is when we pray. And essentially what we're saying is, God, I've told you what I want. But what I want more than what I want is whatever you want. Whatever will most glorify you, whatever most fits within your will, that's what I want. And when we can have faith in God's love for us, that's the moment when we realize the truth behind whatever you pray, believing, you'll receive. Because in that moment, we're praying for what God wants. And that brings us down... And the final point that we need to remember, we've said this before as we've studied prayer. Too often we look at prayer as though it's intended to bend God to our will. That's not the purpose of prayer. Prayer is not intended to bend God to our will. Prayer is intended to bend us to His will. All right. Having laid all that foundation, let's look at some reasons God says no. Certainly, after what all we've said about faith, I think we can recognize that sometimes God says no because we prayed without faith. James chapter 1 makes that abundantly clear. James chapter 1, as it talks about praying for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We don't have faith. So don't pray from faith, and he's, he's not going to say yes. And I want you to think about this. Really, where this, I think, uh, most hits us on a practical level, is sometimes we pray for things that we can't possibly have the faith that God's going to do. Have, have you ever heard this one? Dear God, heal the sick the world over. We've talked about this before, but it's been a couple of years. Dear God, heal the sick the world over. Does any of us remotely believe that God is ever going to heal all the sick the world over? Our world doesn't work that way. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But if we know, if we don't, have, if we know God's not going to do what we have, why would we pray? We can't have faith in that prayer. 
So think about that. The second thing is because we prayed selfishly. James chapter 4. Remember there in James chapter 4, James had said, you, you don't have because you don't ask. But then he went on in verse 3 and said, and you ask, this is James 4, 3, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You're thinking selfishly. Now let me get just a little bit practical with you here, a place where I think we need to think about this. Because one of the most common prayers that we offer is about our health or somebody else's health. I want you to think about why are we asking that? And then consider what Paul said in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. You see, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul was dealing with a life and death situation, and he said, I know I'm going to live. Why was he able to say that? In verse 19 of Philippians 1, he said, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul said, I know I'm going to be delivered. Why? Because he wasn't praying, dear God, help me live, so because I don't want to miss out on all this stuff. I mean, I still haven't got, I haven't got to go to Disneyland yet. There's a, there's a movie coming out that I haven't got to see. I, I, you know, I don't want to miss my kid's graduation. All these things. That wasn't it at all. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. He said, I know I'm going to live because that's what's necessary for you. Paul was asking to live because of how he was going to serve Jesus. Now, I just want you to think, when we ask about our health, why are we praying that? Is it because there's so many things I don't want to miss out on? Is it because we're scared of death? Or is it because we realize, if I keep living, Lord, I'm going to keep serving you, and I'll be bringing people to you, and I'll be helping your children, I'll be doing all of these things. I'll tell you, before you can pray that prayer with faith, you've got to be doing those things before that. It can't be one of those, if you let me live, I'll start doing it. Think about that. When we pray that, why are we praying that? Make sure we're not praying from selfishness. The third reason why God says no sometimes is because it doesn't fit in His will. That gets us back to Jesus' prayer in the garden where He said, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not what I will, but what you will. We just have to understand that sometimes our prayers don't fit within, the, within God's plan. And God, in order to accomplish His plan, is going to have to say no to us. And that's when we need to be willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, in the model prayer, if we're going to model our prayer after what Jesus said there, remember part of the thing that He said there was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, that's one of the anchors of our prayer life. God's will be done. And sometimes, because in various situations, God hasn't revealed His will to us and how things are going to work, we're praying for what we want and what we see as good in our finite wisdom, but we just have to trust God that He knows better. And pray that His will be done. Fourth, others are involved. 
In Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, Paul says about his Jewish brethren, he says, my, my prayer and hope is for their salvation. No doubt God said yes in some cases, but in many cases God said no. Why? Because Paul and God were not the only ones involved in that prayer. Those Jewish brethren were involved in that prayer, and God wasn't going to save them against their own will. Sometimes the things we're praying about involve other people. I'll tell you. Think about this. You're having a picnic. We, you know, we, we had the, the picnic at the Harrisons the other night. I don't know. Tom, did you ever pray that it wouldn't rain that day? No, you didn't pray that. I did because uh, I wanted to get to play football and eat. But aside from that, you know, we wanted, we didn't want any rain. And so we prayed, God, please don't let it rain. But the farmer down the road is praying, God, please let it rain because my crops are dying and, and I'll go into the hole and it'll be bad for my family. Now, which one is God going to say yes to? And which one is God going to say no to? That's up to God. That's in his wisdom. But the thing that we have to recognize is that, that a lot of times in our prayers, we're not the only ones involved. And God and his infinite, I mean, aren't you glad that it's God that's figuring out the answers to those? Instead of someone like me? Or someone like you? Other people involved. We've got to remember that. We also have to remember that God won't change the natural order of things. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It's appointed unto man to die once, and after this is the judgment. Death is just part of life. Sooner or later, we're all going to die. There's this, this woman that I heard about who turned her back on God, and somebody was talking to her, and she said, I just can't believe God exists because I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed that my father wouldn't die, and he died anyway. Well, oh, no, that's terrible. How old was your dad? He was 86. I mean, what do we think? We think we can pray that prayer every time somebody gets sick, and then they're going to live forever? God's going to say no sometimes. Because that's the way our world works. Listen, pray for their life if, if, if you can come up, if, if you're not praying selfishly. Pray for their life. But we just have to understand that sometimes people die in this world. That's just the way our world works. And God's going to say no to that sometimes. Because he's going to let the world work the way the world works. And kind of going along with this, God doesn't change the natural order of things. Sometimes he says no because we reap what we sow. We know that Galatians says that. Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6 and about verse, let's see here, verse 7. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. We reap what we sow. I mean, just think about it. What would you think of a farmer who went out and planted tomato seeds out in his field and prayed all night that God would cause corn to grow? That's just not the way it works. You plant tomato seeds, what do you get? Tomatoes. We reap what we sow. Think about this. If I eat indiscriminately and I don't ever exercise, I can pray to God all day long for health, but guess what's going to happen? I'm going to reap what I sow. I can never balance my checkbook and I can just spend money wantonly and I can pray for financial success, but guess what's going to happen? I'm going to have problems. I can pray that, that, that God will help me overcome whatever sin I'm dealing with. I, I can pray that God will help me overcome alcohol, but if I'm still going to the bars, guess what's going to happen? I reap what I sow. And sometimes we're praying one way, but we're sowing seed the exact opposite. And just guess what? God's going to say no. 
And finally, and this, I'm sure we could come up with other reasons biblically, but I hope this is just giving you a good understanding of why God says no sometimes. Sometimes our request is not, just not best for us. We've already looked at the passage in 2 Corinthians 12. We've already looked at Paul's situation. We have to realize, again, think about parents and kids. You know, why don't you give your kids everything they ask? Because sometimes it's just not good for them. When they ask for candy 24-7, sometimes we have to say no to that, right? Because if we give them candy all the time, the teeth are going to rot out of their heads, they're going to get fat and disgusting, and they're going to have bad health, and it just, it just, it'll be bad. And then when they say, can I please not eat the broccoli? Sometimes we have to say, no, you have to eat your broccoli. Why? Because that's what's best for them. And that's what God does with us. Sometimes we're asking for the serpent or the stone, but God knows what's best for us, and he gives us the fish anyway, and he has to say no to our request. You've got to understand that. There's some really good reasons that God says no. And not a single one of them has to do with God doesn't love me or God's ignoring me. They really all have to do with the fact that God does love me. And we need to remember that. So how do we deal with no? Just real quickly before we quit. How do we respond to the no's? And as we consider that, I want you to think of a really extreme case found in Psalm 88. Psalm 88 has always been a psalm that's most intrigued me because a lot of the psalms begin bad. And it's just talking about how awful things are, but they, most of them end good. But not Psalm 88. Psalm 88 begins bad, the middle's bad, the end's bad. This poor guy named Heman, his life is just bad. And he says it's God's fault. God's doing this to him, he says. And, and, and let's, let's not argue with him. Remember, this is inspired scripture. In Psalm 88, verse 1, he says, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they're cut off from your hand. You put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your ways. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I can't escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Wow. That's bad. Begins bad, goes on bad, and just ends bad. But he's still praying to God. Did you notice that? He says it's been happening from his youth up. He even thinks it's God's fault. He says, God, you're doing this to me. But what is he doing? He still prays and serves the Lord. Why? You notice what he said in the first verse? O Lord of my salvation. You see, Heman was able to continue serving the Lord, even though God had said no in very bad circumstances. Because he understood that God is the God of his salvation. Where else could he turn? You see, a lot of folks, God says no, and they say, 
Well, I'll show you. I'll just turn my back on you. I won't do what you say. I won't worship you anymore. When I die, I'll go to hell. That'll show you. I mean, really, what do we think about that? If we're going to be saved, it's only going to be by God's power. What do we think we're accomplishing if when God doesn't do what we want, we turn our back on Him? That's the point. But then there's the second thing. When you look at verses 9 through 13, you notice what he prays there? He says, in the grave, does anybody praise you? Is your love declared there in the grave? You see, his point is, God, if you, if you let me die, if you keep overwhelming me and I die, I'm going to be dead. And I'm not going to be able to praise you before the people. I'm not going to be able to tell people about you anymore. Do, do you notice what he was most concerned about? I mean, his life wasn't going his way. And he was praying that God would stop it. But why? So he could have an easy life? So he could be happy? No, he said, because if I die, God, I'm not going to be able to praise you before all the people anymore. What was he most concerned about? He wasn't most concerned about his life or about what he wanted or about his goals. What he was most concerned about is that God would be glorified. And that's what we need to be concerned about when we're praying. Not what I want, but that God be glorified. Because, you see, when I do that, that's when I can have the prayer of faith that's answered. Yes. That's when. And finally, and I've shared this with you before, but we need to repeat it. Because it bears repeating and because sometimes we forget it. Job chapter 13 and verse 15, I think, gives us the great answer for the way we need to face life and face God's answers to our prayer. There Job said in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me. Far too often we have an if-only mindset. God, if only you do this, I'll hope in you. If, if only you give me what I want, I'll serve you. If only you'll get me out of this predicament I've got myself in, I'll do what you want. But Job had a completely different mindset. He didn't say if only. He said even though. And that's what we need to have. Not if only, but even though. Even though you slay me, God, I'm going to hope in Even though you say no to all my prayers, I understand that you're the God of salvation and I'm going to do what you want. Because your glory is more important than what I want. That's maturity in prayer. It takes growth to get there. But that's where we need to be.